0: Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right
3: now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Calvary Live, coming to you live from the studios here at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, the home of Grace FM Radio Network. Shout out to everyone listening on Grace FM. Welcome to today's program also, you guys listening on Radio by Grace across the country, you're also listening live. And our friends on Hope FM, Truth FM, Higher Rock Radio, and other outlets around the country, you're listening to this one week delayed. And all that means is call the show while we're live, while we're on the air, you'll talk to the host live, and then your, the show you're on will actually be rebroadcast the following week. So you basically can check the time and go, man, this time next week I can listen to the radio. It's like the closest that you'll get to foreknowledge, um, That the closest thought process. You know, we as pastors try to illustrate foreknowledge, like if you knew the outcome of a football game and you watched it, you would watch it differently. Well, now you know the outcome <clears throat> of next week's radio broadcast, because you were on it. And you can hear yourself on the radio, which is always a blessing. 303 is the number. And here you can also text me, 720 897 That's a 24-7, uh, 24-hour, 7-day-a-week text line. Uh, when we're not using it for the show, it's a prayer line. And uh, you can always text prayer requests. They get copied and sent to the staff here and to the prayer teams here at Calvary Church. 303-690-3000. Pastor Ed, if a person never comes to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, is it true they will go to hell? I don't know how I can answer this question. The answer is yes. If a person dies in a condition of having rejected the only provision for the forgiveness of their sins, they will spend an eternity apart from God. Now, we often refer to the place where they, uh, the, the the eternal abode of the lost, as hell. Uh, but hell is actually a temporary place. We kind of use it to describe all kinds of places, but but we know that at the end of the Book of Revelation, hell is tossed into the lake of fire, uh, and so there is an eternal um, separation. That's, that's really the essence of the eternal state apart from God, is that you're separate. You're not enjoying God. You're, not, you're, it, you're living in a much more heightened, eternal existence than the life of rejecting God. Um, and you don't want to take it into your own hands. 303 690 uh, Pastor Ed asking for prayer for my friend Jen. Husband is suffering from bipolar and uh, committed suicide. Oh, geez. And now she's a single mom. Jen, I lift up God to you through the great trauma, along with her children, of the loss of her husband and dad to the boy, to the kids. And you know all their needs. It's, dr- it's dramatically difficult, not a typical pain, but more of a dramatic pain. And I pray that you would be with Jen, God, that you would get her through these initial tough times, uh, that you would get her through these initial challenging times so that she will take step by step um, towards you In you and through you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Ah, you know, I, um, man, that's a tough one. We're already kind of reeling today. Uh, if you were listening to the program yesterday, you know that we announced publicly that Pastor Scott and his wife Nancy Cox, uh, Pastor uh, Scott was the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Windsor, Colorado, in northern. Colorado town, they passed away together um, the July 4th evening, uh, and uh, the, you know those of us that knew them and loved them, mourning them greatly, uh, the church up in Windsor had a standing room only prayer meeting yesterday, and it's so encouraging to hear that the church is seeking the Lord, but it's still a dramatic and traumatic loss. It was back in 2016 that their son Christian passed away. And we've been walking with them and alongside of them through that trial. And I want you to pray for the Cox family. Alex and Charlie are left behind, as well as extended family members. Alex and Charlie were their two other sons. And also pray for the fellowship family of Calvary Chapel in Windsor and the broader family of Calvary Chapels that we are a part of. Uh, And, of course, the church. We all lost a brother and a friend, and the church lost their pastor and wife. And so, Father, I pray for Alex and Charlie and the extended family of the Coxes. I pray for the church and Bob and uh, the team there, the elders, the board of elders, God. I pray for Jeff, um, who's reeling, and David. and I mean, we can go name after name after name after name, who loved Scott and loved um, his ministry and loved his family. So we just lift them up to you, Lord, and all these that are praying for these, um, you know, horrific grief prayers, we pray for comfort in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open lines, 303-690-3000 is the number, 303-690-3000. We have wide open lines. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Um, I have just posted this morning, or this afternoon, um, the article on my website, edtaylor.org, edtaylor.org. I reposted it to bring it prominence up front again, and the article title is Five Things um, uh, Not to Say uh, to Those Who Are Grieving, Five Things Not to Say to Those Who Are Grieving, Uh, and... It's important that you realize uh, that they're in a very sensitive season in their life and we want to learn to avoid. Uh, And I'll just briefly read to them, read read them to you. Don't say, I know exactly how you feel. Instead say, I'm deeply sorry for the pain you're feeling. Don't say, how are you? Instead say, how are you right now? Don't say, you'll get over it. Instead, say, I pray for you regularly. Don't say, God works all things together for the good for those who love him. Instead, say, Jesus loves you and he understands his grief. And you're going to want to know read the article as I explain that to them. Because quoting scripture is not a bad thing, Romans 8.28. But there's a reason why I said that. And then finally, don't say, you look pretty bad today instead say i love you and haven't forgotten you and once again the same thing i i share that uh in light of hey don't go around you know hey you look sad today yeah i do i'm because i am um type of answer so powerful uh very informative very helpful article it's on edtaylor.org five things not to say to those who are grieving five things not to say to those who are grieving. Give me a call, 303-690-3000. Phone lines are filling up, so we look forward to taking your calls. Here in Aurora, Jason, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, how you doing?
3: I'm doing great, Jason. What's up?
1: I have uh, two questions for you. Uh, first question is, I'm a li- I'm curious about how the book of Revelations play out. I hear a lot of things, but I just don't know the timeline. Okay. I hear, like, everybody who believes is taken away, then does all the bad stuff. You know, not bad stuff, but all the crazy stuff happens. Yeah. And I hear God comes back to rule for a thousand years, and the yes. devil's gone. At that time, I hear, like, animals will behave differently. And I was just kind of curious of, like, the timeline of how everything plays out. And then, do you want me to save my second question for after your answer?
3: No, no, let me—yeah, let me. save it for after my answer, sorry. Um, I have a timeline posted. I have a link if you want to email me, I'll send it to you. Um, I put together a timeline uh, for particularly just questions like this, so it's kind of an overview with Scripture references on the timeline. Uh, You know, the Age of Grace, the Rapture of the Church, the Bema Seat of Believers— the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, the Great Tribulation Period, the Battle of Armageddon, the Second Coming of Jesus with his saints, the Sheep and the Goat Judgment, Kingdom Age, which is where the animals change, Satan's released one more time than the Great White Throne Judgment. So I have explanations of this, not just reading it through. Uh, email me or text me on the text line, and I will send you the link and a lot more information that will help you understand Uh, Because the question you asked, you know, is a deep question. It's more than a radio, uh, you know, it's more than a radio question. So we put things like this together uh, so that you can look at it for yourself in your own Bible and walk along uh, the timeline. So I'd encourage you to do that.
1: After the devil's released again, does he take—after, like, the, you know, Jesus rules— for a thousand years, and then the devil's released, is there any humans after that on Earth, or is everyone's kind of gone?
3: Well, no, there's a new heaven and a new Earth, and so there'll be a repopulation of the new Earth.
1: Okay. Um, all right, I will definitely email you for that. Yeah, My do it. My second qu- question is, I have an older and a younger brother. Um, I'm not very well ber- versed in the Bible, but we ha- we're in a group text, and they both kind of reject the Bible. My older brother's Reasoning is it's homophobic, it's, it's, you know, racist, you know, just things like that. But they both believe in God, and I ask them, like, well, where, where do you get these rules for your God if you reject the Bible? And they just both have this understanding that if they're good people, God will allow them in. But they reject the Bible, and I don't know outside of praying for them how to fix this. Or well, help them.
3: I mean, that's a good way. That's a good perspective, and even way you ask that question, I can say very definitively: neither you nor me can fix the situation, and so that's a relief uh, to take that burden off our shoulders. We're unable to fix or even argue your brothers into the reality of understanding the Bible. However, like anything, um, there's evidence, and there's tremendous evidence that points to the truthfulness of the Scriptures. I mean, even if they knew this truthfulness of the Scriptures, they could still reject it. But there's evidence upon evidence upon evidence that would indicate that the Bible I'm holding in my hand in the English language is directly uh, connected to the original autographs or the original uh, transcripts or manuscripts that existed in the time that they were written. So praying for them is very important— but also learning the the reasons why the Bible can be trusted is good to know. It's good to build your own faith, but also to answer any troubling, critical questions your friend, your brothers might have. And just think about this for a second. Um, anybody that anybody that wants that denies um, or anyone that denies the Bible but claims to be a good person has a a very big challenge on their hand. And the the challenge is this, whose definition of good are you going to follow? Because God has a definition of good, you know, the Bible has a definition of good, uh, you have a definition of good, I have a definition of good, which one are we going to use? Because a lot of people think good means a lot of different things, and and, you know, they might have an answer, it's a good question to ask them, but then... Then ask them, well, what about the red lights? And you, they're going to be like, what are you talking about, red lights? We're talking about the Bible right now and God. And say, like, well, well, just follow me. What about red lights? Uh, what is red? What does a red light mean? And your brothers are going to say, well, it probably means to stop. Uh, and then maybe your other brother says, well, it means to stop until you're in a hurry. And, and you're like, wait a minute, there you have two definitions of red light. And what about the person on the other side of the road? Wonder what their definition of red light is, because if their definition is not your definition, then you know a traffic accident's going to happen. And trying to help them through logic, through reason, through prayer, through solid biblical answers, help them understand that the position they've taken is a very weak position, and it can't hold up to scrutiny, um, just because I think I'm good doesn't mean anything because I'm not as first of all I'm not as good as I think I am and number 2 I'm not as good as God requires because what God requires is not good but perfection and and so I think you're on the you're well on the way to have a deep love for your brothers praying for them but also recognizing you will not be able to fix this
1: okay because they, like I say, they have an answer for everything, but it's not. I can't argue because I don't know.
3: Yeah, they have an answer for everything, but the challenge, you know, the the challenging thing or the interesting thing is that it's not an accurate answer for everything. I can come up with an answer for everything too. Um, what kind of work do you do? Uh,
1: I work at a grocery store.
3: Okay, so I don't know much about working at a grocery store, but I can make it up. Um, yeah. You know, and I, you, you and I could argue and it's like, well, you don't know anything about work, well, yeah, I do. They drive the truck up there and you put the prices on and you change the, and you're like, man, dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't ever work at a grocery store, but I can make it up. And, but it would, it's a frustrating experience, of course, because yeah. you are in the reality of it. You do it every day, but it's frustrating to me because I, I have no idea what you do or how you do it. But I make it up, and every once in a while I say something that sounds really smart, but it's not really smart at all because I don't know. And I think in a very similar way, you know your brothers, too, they have an answer for everything. It doesn't mean it's the right answer. it just means they have an answer, and anyone that knows the real answer kind of hears it and goes, "You know, ultimately they don't know anything of what they're talking about." However, here's the thing: that's just the human realm. In the spirit realm, you know, God loves them, wants to see them saved. And they, he's put a, a brother that is saved in their family for that very reason.
1: Working on my own.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me pray for you.
1: Yeah.
3: Father, I pray for my brother as he ministers to his brothers. Um, even as he was saying, you know, just feeling alone, uh, the only one, uh, having to really wrestle uh, with the reality of his brothers and what they believe and don't believe. And and so, God, I pray that you would strengthen and establish him, that he will grow in your grace and and help him, Lord. Help him to grow. Help him to be used mightily by you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Yeah, thank you.
3: All right. Bless you, man. Bye-bye. You too. Thanks. 303-690-3000. Heading out to Tennessee now. Raphael, welcome to the program. Hey, Raphael, are you on? I'm here. You're on the air.
4: Yeah. So the question I have is, I know for me, I'm I'm a single guy, and this season of my life has been kind of hard because, you know, I've been wanting to get a girlfriend for so long and stuff, and and it's just been tough because of the uncertainty and stuff. So how do I maintain hope and and realizing that it's going to happen one day?
3: Yeah, I think it's important for you to realize that, where you spend your time and attention is what's going to stir you and feed you the most and you're in a season right now that is very challenging and very difficult and if you think too much about it it'll just you can just make it even worse than it is like for example uh today you could say i am a single today you can say i want to be married but if you think on it too much and you think on past relationships or some of the challenges with meeting other singles that share your values and share you know an outlook on life you have, you you can look at some of the challenges when it comes to singleness, and then the truth is, I am single today, but it the truth can become, "Oh, and I'm never going to be married." Well, that's not we, we don't know the truth behind that. We know the truth that today I'm single, but I don't know what the future holds. And I want to be in my own life, I want to be careful not to live in the hypotheticals, but to live in reality and to embrace my, my life today and to be used today and to live out today. And the Bible says to be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus." And I think it's important that you keep your eyes on the Lord, that you're reading your Bible and praying every day. And you know, there's sometimes these seasons, they just require us to endure them and to get through them. You know, bad days, they come, but they also go. And I've had my fair share of bad days, bad months, bad years. I've had my fair share of temptation, I've had my fair share of bad thoughts, you know, just onslaught of the enemy, uh, the wicked schemes of the enemy. And I know that the Lord is the Lord is faithful to strengthen us and to get us through even the worst of days. And so be careful not to, you know, be involved with the hypotheticals because the hypotheticals will just totally discourage you. And
4: another question I have too is um, how do I how do I have Peace in my life even in the midst of you know this
3: darkness of the world you know peace is a gift. peace is something that God gives to us. Jesus said that if we're weary and heavy laden that we're to come to him and he will give us rest. He, it's rest comes from a stated or a settled position of faith that we trust God, no matter what comes into our lives, no matter what's happening around our lives, no matter what the news is saying, how much fear is happening all around us, that, that I can take the peace of God and the rest of God as a gift, and I can receive it, and I can enjoy it, and I, I am to receive it and enjoy it. Uh, and, and even as I, I read earlier in Philippians chapter 4 or chapter 3, it says, "'To be anxious for nothing.'" but in all prayer but excuse me in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving make your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus that's Philippians 4 6 and 7 and then he says finally brethren Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And the things which you've learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do. And God of peace will be with you. And so I'd encourage you to meditate on these verses. Just let the Holy Spirit bring them to your heart and your mind. It's Philippians chapter four, verses six through nine.
2: Thanks, and
4: I want you to. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray. I want you to pray for uh, my parents right now. I know they're going through a lot of things right now too. So I want you to. I want you to pray for me and my parents, too. And I'm just praying for the world to, you know, get a chance to know Jesus. Because sometimes as Christians, we tend to get so distracted with what's going on right now instead of us focusing on God and and the Bible. So I'm just praying for this darkness and this craziness to just come to an end very, very soon and praying for this year to get better pretty soon, too. I know um, it's been very challenging for me and the whole world, but I'm just praying to God that, this year is going to get better pretty soon, and I have hope that it will happen very, very soon through
3: Jesus and through yes. the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray alongside my brother, we we wait and anticipate and want your soon return. And we see the writing on the wall, we see the signs of the times, we are witnessing prophecy being fulfilled even now, and I pray for my brother and his parents that they would be able to endure all that's before them, um, that you would help them to uh, overcome and surpass the great difficulties that are in their life right now, to move forward, God, to see them only in the rearview mirror, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Okay, Raphael, stay in touch. Thanks. All right, bye-bye. All right, let's come back to Colorado. Thornton and Ryan, welcome to the program.
2: Hey, what's up, Ed? How you doing,
3: man? I'm doing well. How are you?
2: Uh, there's been better days, but oh, uh, I'm I'm reaching out to you because I got stumped on something really okay. hard. All right. Okay, so um, we have salvation, yeah, because God can't be in the presence of sin. But no. we see in different times throughout the Bible, for instance, in the book of Matthew, Jesus, holy God, holy man, was tempted by Satan, so he was in the presence of sin. But Job, he had to ask God for permission. Like, I'm just, I'm checking myself here because I want to have the right answer for my friends. Okay. The ones that I'm trying to bring to, to, to knowing that God's like for real and having everything, like, how do I explain that? Like, how is God able to be in the presence of sin when he's not able to be in the presence of us when we're, we're not sinless.
3: Well, I want, I want you to consider some nuances to that question, because let's first of all consider the, the uh, nature of, sal- of salvation, or even before we get to salvation, let's think of the nature of God. One of the attributes of God is omnipresence, omnipresence. And what that means is that God is everywhere at the same time. Uh, he he f- surpasses and he fills uh, all the spaciousness of of life. So in that definition, God is always in the presence of sin because if He's everywhere and sin has an omnipresent part, you know, side to it as well, then He's going to be in the presence of sin and He's going to be in the presence of sinners. I believe what the Bible is trying to describe when it comes to God and sin is that God doesn't participate in sin. He doesn't jump in and uh, is a part of sin, but rather, because sin is around Him, um, He is then able to rescue us from ourselves and from sin. But don't think that God is is unable to be in the presence of sin, because by His very nature, He is. um He just doesn't participate in it. It doesn't touch him. It doesn't change him. He doesn't, like if sin were a swimming pool, he doesn't jump into the pool of sin to participate in it. Um, But at the same time, in his holiness, in his powerful presence, the reality of even the devil, the arch enemy of God, the the king of lies— uh when he stands before god he has to do it, he has to do that in submission where there is a clear understanding of who god is and who is not god uh so the idea of being in the presence of god uh is not necessarily something that would follow that god's never in the presence of sin sin is always around him because he is everywhere okay
2: i follow that so if you're saying he doesn't participate in it, Book of Job, Satan has to ask permission. Right. God allows it. So how is that not participation?
3: Because that only, that only reveals another part of the character of God, and that's his sovereignty. Um, there was a plan and a purpose for God allowing the freedom. Because think about it. If Satan was already in the presence of God, then God's allowed him freedom. Uh, freedom with limitations. right, he was able to be in the presence of God once again. And so, (coughs) excuse me, sorry about that. Uh, So so, so when you are looking at the story, the true story unfolding in Job, he's just giving the devil more freedom in submission to God. What I mean by participating in sin is that God doesn't commit sin. He doesn't jump in it. He's not the author of it. He he didn't create it. So you hear the music. We've got to go. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now.
3: Hey, welcome back to the second half of today's program. My name is Ed Taylor, taking your calls and your questions. 303 690 303-690-3000. Grateful that you've chosen to join us. We have a couple open lines, so I'd love to have you join us. Well, I think we're going to head over uh, to New Jersey. It's Gianna. Welcome to the program. Hi. Hi.
5: Yeah, I was calling in for um, some prayer for a situation I've been battling with since I was six, since I've been 16. And it's um, a spiritual attack, a demonic attack in my sleep, um, where uh, this sleep paralysis is the scientific term for it, but it's really a demonic attack. And I uh, found out that I had to go live with some distant family members when I was 16, and I found out that they were doing witchcraft in that house that I went <laughs> to live in. And um, somehow one of the spirits or whatever, I don't know, I, like it got to the point I had to sleep with the lights on every night. I wouldn't sleep for days because these things were messing with me in my sleep every night. And the only way to get them off of me was to, say in my head because I couldn't talk or move. Mm. Only in my head I had to say in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, and that they would jump off of me, literally. Sure. like. And I know there's not a lot of people who have been through this before, but there are people out there, and I pray for anybody that has to go <clears throat> through that. It's, it's so scary, and it literally, like, it, it's really, really scary. And um, I was living a life of sin all those years that it was happening, and then, like, ever since I got saved, like, to the point where I'm not living in so much sin anymore. It hasn't happened, but it would still happen, but they would only leave me alone when I would call out for Jesus. Mm. And that's what always kept God in my heart because I'm like, there's no other way. There was no other way. It wouldn't get off of me unless I said that literally.
3: Well, let's pray. You have a uh, quite the challenging battle in the spiritual realm, and it's not unusual uh, to see a heightened spiritual warfare in a new believer, in a person that's leaving their past behind, in a person that's dedicated to, um, to following Jesus. And I want to pray for you. So, Father, I pray for my sister that you would deliver her uh, and that you would uh, free her from this very scary spiritual warfare just very challenging, uh, scary, and creating all kinds of fear and anxiety. I pray, God, that by the authority of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed, that you will deliver my sister, and she won't have to deal with this again, that the demonic realm will flee away from her uh, and leave her alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you
5: so much.
3: Uh, Okay, bye-bye. 303-690-3000, 303 690 lines are wide open, wide open. Wrote an article uh, a few years ago. I just edited it and reposted it today. Five things not to say to those who are grieving. Five things not to say to those who are grieving. Uh, grief is heavy on our hearts uh, because of so much loss and pain, it seems, uh, we've had a couple of losses here uh, in the church. I mean, we've had uh, our brother Jason went home to be with the Lord this week and, uh, or last week. And just just painful. I saw his mom, Jan, today and spoke to his wife, Amber, last night. And um, just a very—he ch- was such a neat guy. Uh, and I only wish I would have got to know him even better uh, because he's one of those guys that has a testimony— all over Aurora, although he's an Aurora kid, a Colorado kid, if you will, and, and his testimony, he had a testimony of backsliding and had a, a dramatic testimony of coming back to the Lord and being an evangelist and uh, a wonderful husband, a wonderful dad, a wonderful son. Uh, and, and then, of course, uh, if you've been listening, Pastor Scott Cox... And his wife, Nancy, from Calvary Chapel in Windsor, uh, Colorado, he passed away this week suddenly and tragically in a traffic accident uh, on the evening of July 4th. And it's just brutal and painful. And we're asking you to pray for the Cox family. And uh, they left, they lost a son, Christian. Uh, their son, Christian, died in 2016. And they leave behind two sons, Alex and Charlie. And um, it's just brutal. Um, And so I wrote this article to help equip you uh, to communicate in a way that will be most effective uh, with those in your life that are grieving. Uh, And I entitled it, Five Things Not to Say to Those Who Are Grieving. And I give you alternatives. Um, Like the guy that came to me and says, oh, Ed, you look sad. And I'm like, well, yeah, because I am. Um, that's why I look sad, Uh, and it just isn't the most effective way to communicate to somebody uh, that's grieving. But like I said, there's an alternative. Instead of you look sad or you look pretty bad today, you can just look up. If you see a brother that's struggling, you just look and say, you know what? I love you, and I haven't forgotten you. And you can pray for them um, and minister to them. Uh, so, there's some alternatives and available to you. So, take advantage of it. 303 690 3000 is the number. Taking your calls and your question. Let's see what we got here. Where is my call screen? I'm hitting all the wrong buttons here. Uh, let's go to Ivan in Denver. Ivan, welcome to the program.
6: Good afternoon, Pastor Ed.
3: Hey, Ivan. I just saw you email me. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on?
6: Hey, I got a question for you uh, that I've had for a long time, and it just just came up again in Daniel okay. chapter two, uh, verse forty three, and it goes back to forty two. But when he's uh, explaining the the uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, yes. In forty three, he talks about the mixing of uh, ceramic clay. And the mingling of the seed of the men, but they will not hear, as one another just does not mix iron and clay. Okay. So who is it they that they that he's talking about?
3: Yeah, you know the the vision that he gets of Daniel is of coming kingdoms, uh, rulers of the future. And let me make sure I get this uh, correctly, otherwise I will. I want to look at Yeah, it I can't here.
6: understand that because if it's I'll another kingdom, you. there are gonna be other men. Why can't they mingle with these men?
3: Yeah, they're so he's using a uh, he's using a practical illustration uh to give us a spiritual illustration. So I think you're talking about uh Daniel chapter two, right? Yeah, forty uh, yeah,
6: verse forty three. So let
3: me get there. Daniel two forty three I want to see here. It's been a while since I've read Daniel, and my poor little mind uh, is not what it used to be. How's your mind doing? I'm doing
6: better,
3: thanks. Um, And so when you get to Daniel 43, uh, chapter 2, verse 43, you have, uh, just like in Revelation chapter 13, you have the beast uh, with ten horns and ten kings, and you are seeing what is known as a revived Roman Empire. And he's just using a very practical example to show that just like these chemicals don't mix, um, the neither will these kingdoms they'll be at odds with one another. They're not going to mix together. Um, they're only going to use each other to accomplish a temporary um, situation um, but they're they're not going to stay together. That's all he's really saying.
6: Okay, yeah, that, that clears it up. And I got another quick question. Okay. This, I thought I had it, uh, but it kind of slips me every once in a while. In Matthew, when Jesus says, uh, if anyone desires to come after me, yes, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Yes. What does that exactly mean, take up the cross?
3: Yeah, there's been a lot of different ex- explanations for that over the years. You know, sometimes it's explained as uh if you have any problems or anything, just just carry your problems with the Lord or, you know, I've even heard in and it's usually a joke, but you know, my wife, she's the cross I have to bear. You know, how you've heard people describe things in their lives as a cross they've had to bear. Have you heard that phrase before? Yeah. You know, it's just a bad job or I've got a broken leg or it's just the cross I have to bear. But your that, yeah, but that's not what Jesus is describing. Remember, and let me change the wording and see if it doesn't help you. Um, let me change it to a modern like paraphrase. If anyone desires to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his electric chair and follow me. And what does an electric chair mean today? It means one thing. Yes. Yeah. That's it. and and even a very violent form of death. Now, of course, that is a death for a—that is a capital punishment for a guilty man, but the idea is that the electric chair only has one meaning. Well, in Jesus' day, the cross only had one meaning, and that was death. And what Jesus is saying, he's using a parallelism in his, hey, follow me, uh, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. He's saying this is the way. When when I you, you must, as Paul would later say, Paul would talk about dying to ourselves, uh, dying to ourselves, so that we might live to Christ. Uh, and it's important that we learn that self denial is 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 critical. It is essential. In following Jesus, there's no room for self centered selfishness. Um, We either follow Christ or we don't. And when we coddle ourselves or when we choose to do things our own way, we aren't fulfilling. And we all do this. Let's just be truthful about it. We all do this. That's why the instruction of Jesus is so important for us today because we're all selfish, we all have pockets of pride. We all have areas where we don't want to give up, that we don't want to uh, surrender. And, and the words of Jesus continue to echo in our lives, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Look, if you really want to follow Him, it's not about joining a church. It's not about reading your Bible. It's not about praying. It's not about doing good deeds. It's not about giving money. It's about dying to yourself. You, you need to die to yourself so that you can live to Christ. All right. And you know, it's not like, oh, I've got my crosses to bear. Yes, Jesus had that to say somewhere else, where he said, in this world, uh, you'll have tribulation, uh, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Uh, he has mentioned about our personal crosses and our personal um, challenges, but what he means here is what Paul said in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And when I die to myself, I gain everything.
6: Okay. I like that. That
3: makes sense. Well, great. Thanks for calling, my brother, and thanks for the encouraging email.
6: Okay. God bless.
3: All right. Bye-bye. 303-690-3000 is the number, and I do read all my email all these years, 22 years. You email me. It comes directly to me. I don't argue. Uh, I don't read anonymous emails. Uh, I uh, don't—if you have anything discouraging or mean— uh, to send, don't send it to me. I'm not interested in it. Um, but if you have encouragement, or you have a question, or um, you know whether I answer, I'll read it. But whether I answer, one of the men or women on our team here answers. Um, it's it's always good. And like Ivan here um, was responding to the show yesterday about emotions, and and Ivan has experienced great great loss, uh, and he was expressing that in interacting with me. Uh, he wasn't—you know, because when you're on the radio, right, you can't talk to me. Uh, I mean, you can call, but if you don't get on the air—but uh, you can interact this way. Um, you can interact like um, Ivan did and respond to yesterday's show, um, even as he's mourning the loss of his niece um, and just, just really dealing with—or I think of the Hernandez family um, here in our church that their daughter was viciously murdered downtown Denver by the um, uh, by Coors Field a couple years ago, and now the trial's coming up, and and uh, just brutal, just horrific. The pain that many um, would um, enter into, and I I know that the Lord is comforting. I know they can get us through the worst of situations, but I also know um, God is faithful. And, and reliable and trustworthy. 303-690-3000 is the number. 303-690-3000. Uh, let's see. Let me get back to the phone lines. We're going to head over to Brownsville, Texas. Judah, welcome to the program.
0: Uh, hey, Ed. Thank you uh, for taking my call. You're welcome. I a prayer for you today. <laughs> um, I... I called you actually several weeks ago before my family moved down here to pray that we'd have a safe trip, and okay. uh, we did. So I'm really grateful for the prayers, and I, I'm grateful that the Lord got us down here safely. Oh, that's good. Um, I'm, I'm also calling for prayer again, We, you know, more so I guess my wife and my kids than myself. Um, I think everybody expected to get down here and just everything would be like, peachy keen and perfect just mm. right away. And, you know, there's an adjustment period and there's yeah. finding new work and just figuring out new people to be around and in church and everything. Um, so I was hoping that you would pray for us, just um, just that God would give us some peace and some rest and some patience. Okay. Just let him, let him do his work, you know?
3: Father, I do pray uh, for Judah and his family in this brand new season of adjustment, I just think of Joshua uh, taking the children of Israel into the promised land. It was all warfare. Uh, it didn't come—settling in the new land didn't come without a fight. It didn't come without resistance. It didn't come without uh, battles and def- even a few defeats along the way. Um, and so I pray for Judah as they battle and as they fight in this new season of their life, in this new area. I pray that you would give his family patience, a fruit of the Spirit— um, that this move would prove to be beneficial, that you would reveal all that needs to be revealed uh, in Judah's life and family, and that, God, ultimately you would be glorified, truly glorified through Judah and his family's life. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Um, thank you very much for that. I was sorry to hear about the pastor and his wife. I know. you're so... I was glad that you opened the program with that prayer as well, and mm. um, I'll be thinking of their family. and Thank you. Um, thanks again. Um, Thank you, brother.
3: A- Bye-bye. All right, let's go over to Greeley, Colorado now. Johnny, welcome to the program.
7: Hello, this is Kathy.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. What did I hit here? Oh, uh, no, you're fine.
7: This is Johnny's girlfriend, Kathy.
3: Oh, okay, <laughs> Kathy, you're on.
7: Okay, um, I was just wondering, okay, I know we were discussing earlier this morning, and we were wondering, okay, well, I was wondering, where in the Bible does it say that if you are a believer, your name is written in the Book of Life?
3: Oh, that's a great question. Do you have a Bible with you right now?
7: Um, I can get one, yes.
3: Okay, go ahead. I want you to see it in your own Bible. I'm going to have you open to it. Okay. And you can use the Catholic Bible if you'd like. It's okay. Okay. And this is a great question, I'm so glad that you're asking it, um, because there's a place I can take you right to the Bible, and you can see it right there.
7: Okay, and the only reason why I, I question this is because um, there are a lot of believers, and I just don't understand how there are believers, but they still do not do right. and uh, They sin, and I don't understand how their name could be in that book if yeah. they're not following... You know, Jesus Christ. So no, that's I don't a great understand question. how their name could be in the book of life. So that's well, why I was, I was wondering.
3: Okay, well, let's start with the first question, and then we'll talk about the second one. The first okay. one is in the very last book of the Bible, in Revelation, okay, chapter
7: Revelation. twenty-one. Chapter twenty-one,
3: verse twenty-seven. Verse twenty-seven.
7: Verse twenty-seven, chapter one. Revelation, what? Chapter Revelation
2: twenty-one,
3: verse twenty-seven. 27. Verse 27 and this is what it says it says there shall be no me there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life and there that is doesn't
7: necessarily mean that every name is written in the book of life right no even if you're a believer
3: Well, the Lamb's Book of Life would only be a book with the names of believers in it, not unbelievers.
7: Okay. And so that's my question, too. So that was the second one. So you're, say, um, say my neighbor's a believer, but they're a believer in Jesus Christ, but they do, they sin all the time. Sure. Okay, so I don't, I don't understand
3: that. That's okay. Like there's the, so we have to clarify a few of the words along the way because um, we want to make sure that we understand like the Bible's definition. So believer would, would constitute a person that would consist, I should say, of a person that is born again. And that means they've been given new life from God himself. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So if my neighbor next door says I'm a believer— then that what what he's communicating to me is that he is born again. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And the reality is, is that born-again believers still sin. There is still okay. a sinful part of our lives. But the, here's the difference between a believer sinning and an unbeliever sinning. A believer doesn't like it. A believer Uh wants to leave it. A believer wants to see real change, but they struggle and they battle. You know, think of someone, uh, maybe an example of alcohol, and they get drunk all the time because that's how they grew up, that's the habit that they have, and now they're Uh born again, but they still struggle with alcohol. Well, it is possible for a believer, a born-again believer, to struggle with the sin of drunkenness. Um, Uh It's a bummer. I wish they didn't, but it's possible. Um, however, there are people that get drunk and say, "Oh, well, I believe in God and, but they don't care. Like they don't, they don't live out any indication. Like, so to me, there's a difference between when well, my neighbor says he's right. a believer and he still sins. And then my other neighbor says he's a believer and lives like the devil. And, and so as a pastor, um, that I've been doing this 22 years now, here's my approach. Uh, and I would just say, if, if my neighbor says they're a believer then I'm going to treat them like a believer, and I'm going to hold them to a standard of what the Bible has to say. And the Bible tells you and me that we're to stay away from sin. Um, I'm, I'm trying to avoid it, not excuse it. I'm going to I, I, sin is what nailed Jesus Christ to the cross, and and so if my neighbor says that and lives like a sinner, then I'm going to rebuke them. Um, I'm going to exhort them. I'm going to say, "What you're not living like a believer." Um, And then if my next-door neighbor on the other side says he's an unbeliever, then I'm going to treat him like that, and I'm going to evangelize him. But sin doesn't disappear until we shed these bodies, until we're not in these bodies anymore, because these bodies have been corrupted by sin. And unfortunately, um, being human beings that we are, we choose sin far too much, and it's sad. Yeah.
7: Okay, so... So in the Bible, it says if you confess your sins and you believe that God is your Savior, that you will be saved. But so those people who continue sinning and know they are sinning, will they be saved? Yes. Even if they continue sinning and they know they're sinning?
3: Yes. Sin is not the issue because Jesus Christ died to forgive us of our sins. So a believer that sins is going to pay the price for that. Like the problem with a believer like how
7: that's, do they pay the
3: price They're going to they're going to experience greater consequence because now they're they they are they are sinning against knowledge at least when, when I wasn't saved I could say I sinned in ignorance but now when I'm now when I'm a believer you know just use Ed Taylor like now that I'm a believer and a pastor if I willingly sin against God it's going to be painful it is going to be painful in my life But like a son, like, for example, let's take that same illustration, like with with me as a son, right? My dad. If my dad told me not to do something and I did it anyway, I'm going to suffer pain, don't you think? I'm going to suffer consequences, get disciplined, be grounded or whatever, right? Okay. But I'm not going to stop being a son. My dad just doesn't just throw me away because I disobeyed him. He brings Discipline into my life, he brings consequence in my life, but I don't stop being a son.
7: There's a, there's a part it, there, it's, I can't I can't quite remember what I, you probably know where it's at, but okay. where it, there's a small gate and it was going to be a narrow gate. Yes, and it wasn't doesn't mean that we will all make it through that gate. It says that he will be at the door of that gate and he will say, "I do not know you." Well, so what does that? What does that mean? If, yeah, if Jesus
3: Jesus gave a really—and your questions are really good, too, so thanks for asking them, because Jesus, when he was teaching in Matthew chapter 7, he, he gave this instruction. He said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it and so if you're using if we're wanting to understand what Jesus is saying he's saying of all the people that are living on the earth today only a few people are going to be saved it's that it's very difficult and very challenging to admit that you've sinned and to respond to the conviction of the holy spirit that's why most of the world rejects god today but for those that come through the narrow gate from those that are born again we have a brand new relationship with jesus and I want to be clear, because I, I think you're really wrestling with the sense of why do people still sin? God does not approve when you and I sin. He doesn't approve of it. Never does He approve of it. But sin, that's, that sin in a believer's life, has already been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's just going to be a very painful choice to make. Like, for example, and I know these are silly illustrations, but I, I know they'll help you understand. If I finish the show today— and Kevin and I, two real born again believers, we are both saved. There is evidence in our life that we're saved and we love God. But we say, Hey Kevin, you know, I'm I'm broke right now. Can I have a dollar for the vending machine? And you're like, No, nah, bro, I don't have a dollar either. But you know what? First bank is open till six o'clock. It's right here next to the church. Why don't we go down there and rob First Bank? As believers. And you're like, Are you serious, Ed? How could you possibly think? Well, I want some money, so I'm going to go steal it from the bank. I am going to suffer all the consequences of robbing that bank as a Christian. I am going to suffer. I'm not going to get away with it. It's going to come back on me. And so Christians can rob banks, non Christians can rob banks. But the significance between the two is one category has had their sins forgiven. They're going to spend eternity with Christ. They may have a miserable life on earth, but because of the blood of Jesus, they're going to spend eternity with God. The unbeliever will have a miserable life and never spend eternity with God, but will be separated from him for all eternity.
7: Okay, so that's that's what I meant. So there is going to be separation.
3: Absolutely.
7: There won't be um, a way into the gate.
3: There will not be a second chance. Like, there's no such thing as purgatory. There will be no second chance. Today is the day to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and submit your life to Him. Have you done that I... yet? Oh, yes, I have. And so you're living a full relationship with Him?
7: Yes, I am. It's good for you. Yes,
3: I am. Well, bless you. God bless God you. God bless you. All okay. bye-bye great great questions to end the show today so appreciate you guys joining us remember to pray for the calvary chapel in windsor colorado they've just lost their pastor a very good friend of mine pastor scott cox and nancy pray for their son alex and charlie who are left behind and and uh, this first sunday this weekend without them we'll be we'll be here tonight seven o'clock you've been listening to calvary live tune
0: in next time for prayer and god's word